You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Corey Johnson and Kush Parikh. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesdays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds on Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Face all your fears, drink it at me. There's so many donuts on them back streets. Sit so high in the nosebleeds. Feel like I can fly. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S. Bleeds is your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush. And I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Corey Johnson. As always, Corey in the house. How we doing, my man? Yes, sir. We are good. We are good. Good to be here. Good to be back on the show. Good to be talking some sports and good to be talking about the NBA playoffs. Yes, sir. And let's get into it. We haven't done this in a minute, but on this day, June 17th, we have two. NBA final championships were crowned on this day. First, we had the 2008 Boston Celtics beating the Lakers in game six to win their first championship since 1986 and their 17th overall, which was league leading at the time. Finals MVP went to Paul Pierce. But then in 2010, the Lakers got their revenge and they beat the Boston Celtics in game seven for the franchise's 16th NBA title, which was second most at the time. And MVP was the late, great Kobe Bryant. Man, I, Kobe. I remember those series. Those were, I mean, that's the Celtics Lakers. That's why, obviously, in days before the rivalry, but it kind of rekindling of the rivalry in those two NBA finals right there. Yeah, I think that was like one of the last like NBA finals where to me, I mean, you can say maybe Cavs, uh, Warriors, but to me, I felt like, you know, these two teams, as far as 2008, 2010, you could definitely tell there was a lot of, like, bad blood there, and whether it was just the fact that these guys had gone at each other in the finals and everything was on the line, or at the fact that uh, both these franchises historically just don't get along with each other, that East Coast, West Coast thing, and then also L.A., Boston. So it was a great series. Um, I think in 2010 and I think also the fact that it kind of like really helped Kobe as far as you know helped him be able to put himself in a a different breed as far as getting that championship Um, and uh, that 2008 one you know you talk about you know Paul Pierce and you know, going to the locker room, <laughs> and coming back. One of the most iconic things you'll ever see in the NBA <laughs> finals that will never probably ever happen again. Uh, man, but Paul Pierce, man, for all the crap that he gets, he definitely, uh, you know, let some crap out that day. Let's <laughs> just leave it at that. Yeah, for sure. And I think the 2010 NBA finals, yeah, it was a great series, but I think it gave us the greatest post-game conference with Ron Artest. I don't know if you remember that homeboy. Oh, was, how could I not? Yeah. He was drunk that. off of champagne, talk about his Wheaties, Kobe passed me the ball. That was great. Gotta love Ron Artest for that. Or Metal World yes. Peace, I should say now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's talk about the current NBA playoffs that's going on right now. Maybe we could call it the playoff of injuries because there's been a record amount of injuries to All-Stars this 
NBA playoffs. Eight All-Stars miss at least one or more games in this postseason. Kawhi Leonard, he's the latest to go down with a knee injury. He missed game five against the Jazz. And then Anthony Davis, he was out with a knee injury and then a growing injury. He left game four, missed game five, barely played game six against the Suns. And then James Harden, his hamstring that was bothering him all year long. He left game one against the Bucks and missed uh, game two, three, and four. Kyrie Irving, with that ankle injury, left game four and game five. And then you have Joel Embiid missing the game and kind of re-aggravating it against the Hawks. Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, who hasn't played against the Clippers, and then Jalen Brown, who didn't miss the playoffs. So those are the all-stars right there that have missed it. But also, there's been some key players who have injured themselves as well. But some have been able to play, some haven't. And that's Chris Paul, Jamal Murray, Kemba Walker, DeAndre Hunter, Serge Ibaka, Victor Oladipo, Dante DiVincenzo, Mitchell Robinson, Danny Green, and Thomas Bryant. All guys on playoff teams that those guys are key players. And uh, if they play, I mean, obviously, Chris Paul has been playing. But if the other guys play, they, they could make a difference in those series. Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially, like you said, Jamal Murray, I feel like could have made a huge difference um, for the Nuggets. Maybe not in the sense that I don't think they could get swept, but they at least would have had like a fighting chance because the dude is a certified bucket getter and he would have, you know, had a really good opportunity to help them offensively and taking some weight off of Jokic. But it's just like you said, man, this has been a really crazy, crazy, crazy season that's been full of injuries, not just these playoffs, but throughout the entire course of the season. And um, you look at the Miami Heat and how they got hit hard with the injury bug to start the season and really just never got right throughout the course of the, the entire season. And you just look at how uh, heavily affected every single team has been. And to me, due to the fact that everybody's been hit hard with injuries, I guess you could say maybe the Bucks have been the the sole team that really, you know, as far as like their star players has been able to somewhat get away with it. You know, you can kind of say Drew Holiday's, you know, had his injury problems here and there. But for the most part, I would say that overall, I think I mean that, they, they did have DiVincenzo. Yeah, that's be. true. That's true. But as far as like, you know, I was just, you know, star players, yeah. like Giannis has been, you know, there all the way in middle. Knock on wood. Yeah. So honestly, I just think that it's unfortunate that this is happening, but it's not like something that we're new to in the fact that we see injuries happen. And especially we see injuries do happen throughout the course of the playoffs in years past. I think this year is different because there was no preseason. It was such like a, a quick turnaround from last season into this season. And there really wasn't no uh, true real off season for the players to get some sort of extenuated break off of uh, everything that they had to go through as far as the bubble and the stoppage of play and, you know, everything of that nature and COVID. And so, you know, it's just been a really tumultuous and crazy, you know, NBA season all around. But I think that on the other end of it, you kind of have to, if you're involved still, if you're one of the teams still involved, you can't really use that as an excuse. If you get, if you lose right at this point, I think you kind of just have to deal with the cards that you've been dealt and rock with the people who you have, because at this point, it's, it's not like you got like a, a, a magical, you know, potion or something to like get guys, you know, instantly healthy or anything like that. You kind of just have to deal with what you got and rock out and try to perform to the best of your ability. 
Yeah, and obviously the face of the league and LeBron James, he popped off on Twitter uh, talking about that they didn't want to listen to me at the start of the season, you exactly what's going to happen, yada, yada, yada. So he's basically just saying that, like, I told you so, this uh, shortened <laughs> off season, the, the quick turnaround, it's tough. And he said, obviously, fans don't want to see their favorite players not playing. So what are your thoughts on, you know, the injuries that have happened? Because to me, I think a lot of these injuries, like you said, we have seen them before, but I think a lot of them were kind of like freak injuries. It wasn't like, it didn't seem like fatigue, like Kyrie Irving, he landed on Giannis's uh, foot. I mean, and then you have uh, Chris Paul who got basically pulled back by his shoulder or whatever. And then uh, I guess Embiid, you could say, and then uh, James Harden, you could say that's maybe one fatigue. And then, Ant- but I think with Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid, those two are made of glass. Those guys are always just going to be injured. But I feel like more more freak accidents. Off, of course, the shortened off season is going to take you know a toll on these players because we saw it in the NFL. No preseason. What happened NFL week? two i believe it was mm-hmm. when we had like five guys go down with season ending injuries so right it's tough but i think the case would better be made if this was like um mid-season and we had so many guys going down like yeah we're heading into the end of the playoffs and the fact that lebron is kind of like coming out with this state I'm, I'm a timely person so when he comes out and he says this at this stage of the game in which you know He's not involved anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I think that it's strategic. Uh, the fact of, like, LeBron, we all, we always know that everything LeBron does is, is for strategic purposes, whether it be for on the court, whether it be for business, whether it be – he's clearly doing this as a way to, I think, twist the arm of uh, Adam Silver and really remind him and let him know, like, hey – you might be the NBA commissioner and you guys might be the executives and all that, but I'm still the face of the NBA. And my word is as good as, as good as God. So, but, but at the same time, I mean, the NBA and the NBA players associations, they, the NBA they players, so, they, they, yeah, they signed off on exactly. it. So, I mean, so, is this more is, of a shot yeah. to the NBA or the players association basically saying, I told you so. And if so, then he's basically taking a shot at Chris Paul, who's the president of the players association. I personally think that LeBron, I think, is not necessarily going after the Players Association or his boy, Chris Paul. I think it's more having to deal with he's going, he's he's popping off and he's kind of going off to, you know, remind everybody that like, oh, remember me? I was the one that said that we should wait and we should do this. But interesting enough, like when the bubble was occurring and there was threats of, you know, season being stopped, season being canceled and people talking about the season being, you know, uh, not even continuing. And there were like serious rumors that that was going to happen. Like LeBron was one of the guys who, you know, advocated for former president Barack Obama to come in and speak to everybody and to push for them to continue the season and all that good stuff and end up ultimately getting his fourth championship. So, I mean, he benefited from the fact that, you know, there were so many guys that were injured and the fact that nobody really enjoyed being in the bubble um, and being away from their families and all that good stuff. But, but, in this sense, while he's not involved and he has no championship on the line, now he comes out and he says, like, oh, see, I told you uh, we should have had a longer offseason. And I, I just think that it's strategic from LeBron. And it also shows that he definitely knows that 
he's going to get a spotlight on when he especially says matters about, you know, the NBA, when he speaks about the NBA. And I think, again, he's kind of also facilitating himself to set himself up for a future ownership role, because we know LeBron is all about ownership. He's all about making sure that he protects his own, he protects his brand, he protects um, his money and his business. And so I think he definitely wants to set it up to where like when he has a future stake in the claim to be able to own an NBA team, his name, his brand, and his recognition as a player is going to be held to a high degree enough so that whenever he has a say about NBA matters, it's going to be taken to a higher level, almost like a Jerry Jones type deal. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on into the actual playoff, what's going on in round two. Let's start off with the Jazz versus the Clippers, the only Western Conference matchup still going on. The Clippers are up 3-2 on the series. Game six is on Friday in Los Angeles. But the big thing is Kawhi Leonard and Mike Conley, those two injuries. Kawhi possibly an ACL sprain. We still don't know how severe it is and is most likely going to miss the rest of the series and then some maybe. And then Mike Conley, like I said before, he missed 20 straight games in the regular season with a hamstring injury and then played against the Grizzlies but has missed this series so far re-aggravating that hamstring. Um, And he says that he was good, but then there was a little setback in his rehab process. But I think we do see him in game six. But quickly, what are your thoughts on these two injuries and their impact on this series? Well, I feel like the impact is huge. Um, Obviously, it's been huge for Utah in the sense that it feels like unless Donovan Mitchell goes crazy, Utah's offense is really just – Donovan Mitchell kind of pulling up and him or him driving to the rim and creating offense, whether it be a kick out to a, a shooter or whether it be a, a, a lob to Gobert or something like that, or them trying to get something off the fast break. But really it's just been a lot of pressure on Donovan to have to create offense. And there's been a lot of talk about him, you know, taking a lot of shots, but I mean, if he's the go-to scorer, he's got to get his shots off. And I think if Mike Conley was there, he would be more so able to find him as far as uh, facilitating to him and being able to get pick and rolls and be able to uh, set up Donovan Mitchell. So that way he's not having to expend so much energy, which also looks like he might be injured as well and playing hurt. So that would also be a way for him to not necessarily take plays off, but be able to save a lot of energy. So that way he's not gassed by the fourth quarter because in game five, he, Dude looked like he was barely hanging on on his last legs. And every single time I saw him go to the free throw line, dude was literally sucking wind and trying to get every (laughs) last breath, every last breath. So that way he he was able to get ready to still compete. So uh, I think it's a big loss not having Mike Conley. But so far, I thought that he was going to play in game five. Um, It didn't turn out that way. But if he doesn't play in game six, then I can't really say that we're going to see him the remainder of the series. As far as Kawhi, I mean, that sucks that he goes down with a a crazy knee injury and an ACL and you're hoping that it's not anything serious and that it's just, you know, a little bit of swelling and you're hoping that the swelling goes down. But I think after game, I think game four, where he had like such a a crazy performance and was uh, one of the highlights of of the game, dunking on Derek Favors. I mean, like, yo, like, oh, my God. Might have been the dunk of the playoffs. I mean, my God, disrespectful. And, like, whenever he has highlight plays like that, he never, like, gets, like, crazy. He just, like, yeah, 
Yeah, I just did that. Like, I, actually, I don't know. He he kind of shows emotion when he makes those big plays, he does, like against that, against Maxi Kleba in the yeah, first round, and then this yeah. one he he showed a little bit of emotion. Yeah, but like sometimes he'll just be like, "Yeah, I just dunked on him. I'm gonna just go up the court." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, if he does show emotion, it's all for like two seconds, and then it's yeah. back to back to robot Terminator back to Kawhi. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but anyway, I think that you, you not having Kawhi is gonna put a lot of pressure on Paul George. But it's also going to test the uh, the others as far as the Clippers go. And we saw Reggie Jackson came up huge in game five when he's hitting like ridiculous J.R. smith S step backs to like a guy's got both hands in his face. Jordan Clarkson's all over him. Somehow he, he manages to hit a shot. Dude's literally out of bounds almost and he still hits a shot. Like, I mean, like Reggie Jackson, like a.k.a. Bobby Schmerder was going crazy in game five. And like and then also Morris was getting, going off. So. I think if you get that level of production the rest of the way and PG continues to play like Paul George and not Pandemic P, it's it's, it's going to be tough for Utah. And also I think that uh, the Clippers did get away with one because if Utah makes a few more shots, <laughs> if they make a few more threes in that second half, I think it's a totally different story. I think they made enough in the first half. But let's talk about game five. <laughs> Obviously, no Kawhi, like Corey mentioned. Uh, Clippers won 119-111. But, yeah, the entire starting lineup, like Paul George obviously was the one that's going to be glorified, rightfully so. But Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, even Batum, even though he didn't fill up the box uh, score, like he still played well. And Terrence, man, dunk it on the defensive player of the year. Jeez. Disgusting. But, yeah, honestly – for the Clippers, this small ball lineup has worked really, really well against the Jazz. And they've, I wouldn't say exposing, but they've been, you know, sh- exploiting Rudy Gobert and bringing him out to the perimeter and kind of opening that paint. And I mean, when they do drive to the hole, they get Rudy Gobert to come down hard and then they, uh, hit the that corner three so it's crazy because the clippers third straight win this series you, you got to remember they were down 0-2 now they're up 3-2 and like i said paul george playoff p as people call him showed up he notched the first 35.15 rebound and five or six assist game in clippers history so he's uh making his mark on this series for sure i think this is his third straight 30 point game as well too so when he plays well the clippers play well as well so um it's crazy and then like i mentioned the jazz made 17 three-pointers in the first half and they shot 57 percent from three but the crazy thing is that they were only up five points at the half so that was kind of a cause for concern but shout out to bogdanovich 32 points he broke the jazz record for most threes in a game a uh, playoff game with nine and then mitchell that i think i was talking about it after game one i'm like where's patrick beverly and finally ty Lu <laughs> has kind of played forced his hand to play patrick beverly and he does done a hell of a job on donovan mitchell mitchell still got his own got 21 points but only shot 32 percent from the field so in my opinion, his entire team effort for the Clippers, and they played damn near a perfect game, and they're going to have to, again, if they want to close out this series in six games or even seven games. But let's talk about the rest of the series. What do you think is going to happen? You think uh, Jazz are going to take it? You think Clippers are going to take it? I think um, that the Jazz are going to win game six, uh, and I think it forces a game seven where – we are really going to see what the Clippers are made of because they're going to have to head back to Utah and they're going to have to, you know, obviously face that tough environment, that rowdy environment, that uh, at times ridiculous environment. But um, ultimately, I think that 
if the Clippers are the team that people are starting to believe that they are, then I think they pull this one out. The, 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 the big difference is I think that the Jazz are going to win game six because they're going to have a sour taste in their mouth because they're going to feel like they let one slip. Because I think that based off of the first half, they definitely should have won game five, but in the second half, they just couldn't hit shots. So there was, you know, that's partly due to the fact that the Clippers played some solid defense, but there was a lot of open shots that the Jazz just missed. And I feel like in a winner in a winner go home situation, the Jazz are gonna make a lot more shots than they did uh in game five and game six on Friday. So uh, but game seven, I think that is where it's gonna come down to the star players. And I already kind of touched on a little bit. Don Mitchell, he looks like he's you know a little bit hurt, a little injured. Um, he's trying to play through it. But who's going to step up for the Jazz in the sense of Donovan Mitchell kind of has like the game that he had in game five and game seven. Who's going to be able to step up and sort of like, you know, be that guy who's a closer and be able to help him out. So that way he's not just being chased around the court by <laughs> Clippers defenders. And I feel like if PG plays like the same way he did in this game in game seven, then I think the Clippers take it and they're headed off to their first ever Western Conference Finals. I think it's uh, all dependent on Mike Conley. If he returns game six, I think the Jazz win the series. And if not, I think the Clippers win on Friday, game six at home. Um, But they got to do the exact same thing they were doing in game five to move on, play damn near perfect basketball. Uh, I, I, it's just crazy. Cause you have the jazz shooting 50, 57% from three pointers to end the first half and then to end the game, I think they finished like 37 or something like that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Insane stat. Um, but they put up 65 points in the first half. So, I mean, it, we're, we're going to see, but, but I think a big, big thing is Quinn Snyder's. Is he going to try to mimic the Clippers small ball lineup with their own small ball lineup? But I think in order to do something like that, Mike Conley would have to play. Cause who are you going to have run the center? Cause I mean, Derek favors isn't like, they don't really have like that Marcus Morris guy who can play and guard damn near all five positions on the court. So it, the Jazz don't really have that center to do that or that big man to do that. But I think if Mike Conley comes back, maybe you can move Royce O'Neal back to the center, see see how that works. But I don't, I don't know if they could run that small ball lineup. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it reminds me kind of what happened with the Clippers in the last series as far as, like, they weren't really able to play Zubac for a majority of the last series against Dallas because the, the, the Mavs were playing such a small ball lineup. And – they were really like kind of flustering the Clippers um, because like they had to play certain guys and they couldn't go as deep as they probably wanted to. Um, you know, Ty Lue has so many guys at his disposal, but in this series, I feel like even though, yes, he's the defensive player of the year, but he's an offensive liability and he's a spacing liability. And because of the fact that you only are able to put five guys on the court, <laughs> you're not able to really get the space on the floor that you need in order to free up the shooters and be able to drive inside. I think a lot of things, a lot of times when you see uh, either Donovan Mitchell or whoever driving into the lane, uh, the help defender who's guarding, whoever's guarding Rudy Gobert can just step over and help because he's just clogging up the paint. And all he can really do is try to get a rebound or try to like, you know, uh, get set up for a lob. And, you know, that's, that's, that's getting, that's getting shut down in the playoffs. So, the only real way I think that the the Jazz are able to go small ball, like you said, is if they turn to Mike Conley and he's able to run the point and run the show. But depending on whether or not Quinn Snyder, you know, is forced into that, like you said, will I think be determined in game six when they have to 
really, you know, put all the chips out on the table and try to go for it. Because at this point you down three, two, and there is no more, you know, who can't lose another game. Otherwise we're out the playoffs. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. We got the 76ers versus the Hawks. The Hawks up in the series, 3-2. Game Shocker. six is on Friday uh, in Atlanta. But I think the big thing is, uh, I mean, obviously, there's other things. But Joel Embiid is the the big name that everyone is focusing on right now because just his injury and his fatigue throughout the entire series. Uh, in game four against the Wizards, he slightly tore his meniscus. And he kind of, it, it seems like he's re-aggravated it a couple times in this series against the Hawks, but he's still putting up monster numbers. But I think just the fact that he's been having to take, been, been having to be taken out in like the third and fourth quarter when you really need him. And when he comes out, it's kind of just downhill for the Sixers. But despite being gassed, he's averaging 32 points, 13 rebounds, and almost two and a half blocks. So crazy numbers he's been putting up, but the Sixers game four and game five had absolute meltdowns in game four. They blew an 18 point lead. And then in game five, they blew a 26 point lead. So <laughs> what's your thoughts and takeaways from those last two games? Well, first things first, I mean, like shout out to Atlanta sports. I mean, this must feel awkward for y'all to be on the opposite end of, <laughs> of a team blowing a lead. So, I mean, like, Hey, it was bound to happen. And I'm it's glad that they, coming. yeah, yeah. It's a long time coming after all the leads that's been blown. So, I mean, like, Hey, uh, I would say that it would be crazy though. If they blew this three, two series lead though. God, lead. but, to, but to, you know, in all seriousness though, uh, I think this is, uh, like you said, been a big part of the fact that Embiid really hasn't been able to be on the court for long uh, for the key stretches and the key moments down the stretch. But I think it's also the fact that the 76ers really take their foot off the gas pedal for whatever reason, because they just get into a comfort zone. And then also they're not making shots. Let's just point blank period. Like uh, Ben Simmons, I think what he only attempted four shots in game five. I think Tobias Harris uh, didn't do anything in that second half. And I think in the fourth quarter, only Joel Embiid and Seth Curry made <laughs> made two shots down the stretch. So uh, the 76ers really have nobody to blame but themselves. But when you, my whole thing is with the 76ers is when things go bad, they seem like they don't know what to do. And when things are going horribly wrong for them, they kind of like feed into it. Like the heads are down, the body language looks terrible. And there's really nobody who's like, okay, let's get back into it. Let's, you know, let's refocus, let's reshape up. And I'm trying to figure out who is that, who's that guy, that boisterous guy on their team that like helps them to get back into line and get back into focus. And I, I mean, like with all the veterans that they have on their team, with all the, 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 the different ability that they have, the talent that they have, they seem like, I don't want to say it, but they kind of seem like they are experiencing the, the, the same thing that the Clippers were having a season ago and the same thing that uh, the Clippers had a few years ago. And <laughs> Well, I, I have an answer for your question, <laughs> and it has to do with what you just said. I think those two teams have something in common, and that's the same head coach. <laughs> In Doc Rivers. I mentioned it after last season when the Clippers had their meltdown that Doc Rivers is overrated. He is one of the worst on the fly coaches. He cannot adjust in games and that's uh, and he can't really pull guys that are hurting him and he can't put in guys that are helping that he I think he's just an old school coach. He doesn't really take analytics into account where I know it's like, oh, like 
you don't always have to rely on analytics and stats and all that. But to a certain extent, you should because the numbers do not lie sometimes. But I've I've watched Doc Rivers for seven years of my life, and it I, I know what the Sixer fans are going through right now, and it's brutal. And let me tell you right now, Clipper fans and Sixer fans are not the same. They are vastly different in where. Sixer fans will put your head on the pike and literally run around town, literally just slandering your name. But I saw this tweet and I just want to bring it up. This is Doc Rivers playoff history since winning his lone NBA championship. 2009, he was up 3-2 on the Magic, lost a series. 2010, up 3-2 on the Lakers in the finals, lost a series. 2012, he was up 3-2 on the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, lost a series. In 2013, Clippers were up 3-2 on the Grizzlies, lost a series, Game 7 at home. 2014, Clippers blow 15-point lead in Game 5 versus OKC, end up losing the series. And then 2015, Clippers blow 3-1 lead to the Rockets. 2016, Clippers are up 2-0 on the Blazers, lose four straight. I mean, given Chris Paul and Blake Griffin both out. but And then 2017, lost Game 7 at home against the Jazz. 2020, which is last year, blew the 3-1 lead. And then this year, he's blown an 18-point lead and a 26-point lead and are down 3-2. And the outcome is still to be determined. But, I mean... <laughs> At some point, it's, it's, it's you. <laughs> it's it's all in the right. And I mean, like, yeah, Doc Rivers isn't the one out there missing shots and of stuff course. like that. But there you, you have to put Doc Rivers. He has to have some accountability in this because if your point guard is shooting four for 14 from the free throw line and you're leaving him in there and then you have your number two score and Tobias Harris going two for 11 and you're leaving him in there I mean I get it you have to leave your star players in there but at some point in time you just got to say okay that's not working let's go to something else but honestly I want to talk about Ben Simmons a little bit it seems like he's unplayable at some times this series and especially in crunch time he really, really needs to develop a jump shot in his career. Otherwise, in my opinion, he's going to be a glorified, better passing Tony Allen with a $35 million <laughs> salary. Yeah, uh, I've seen another, uh, speaking of tweets, I've seen another tweet where they was going in on Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. They were like, I think they're like, their contracts is like 300 something million combined or something like that or something like that. Like, it's like crazy how much money the 76ers have tied into both of them. But Neither one of these guys can hit any shots. Well, like Tobias Harris long. has proven, like, but, okay, yeah, Tob- yeah, Tobias yeah. Harris isn't overrated. He's overpaid, in my opinion. Yeah, but the, so, I think he he kind of he was able to to fleece that in the sense of he got that because it's like after the whole Jimmy Butler experiment fell. Yeah, I think they had to get somebody in there to take the pressure off. And of he him. and he's flourished under Doc Rivers. He's done oh, a yeah. hell of a job. Oh yeah, but I bad. think the 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 problem is is that it's he's their third option as far as second well yeah he's their second like as far as like give me the ball i'll shoot it i'll you know be able to get you a bucket and the problem is is that when his shot ain't falling and when Embiid's shot ain't falling you know ben simmons ain't gonna shoot so it's like bro that's my biggest thing about ben simmons i don't want to cut you off but it's 2021 the nba is vastly different the pace is at an all-time high Three-pointers are flying like nowhere. Get a fucking jump shot. It's not that hard. Like, literally, if he gets a jump shot, he could be a top-five player in the NBA. And I'm saying it's ridiculous. His biggest problem, I think, is that he has all the physical gifts in the world as far as 
he's able to be a defensive player of the year type player. He's able to um, hound teams on the defensive side of the ball, be able to get rebounds, feel the stat sheet. He can score as well as like driving to the rim and, you know, get dunks and stuff like that. But when that slows down and you're in the half court setting and guys are backing off of you and forcing you to, I mean, you could even like just get like a little mid range game. Like, you, you know, yeah, even get that, and even the thing that. Is, is we've seen flashes of him, like in high school, in LSU, he's had a little post game. I'm not saying it was consistent, but right, it right. was there. Right. But so I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or what I it is. Cause I've seen know. him shoot the ball. It's like, we saw Markel Fultz and how bad his jumper yeah, was. Yeah. Ben Simmons doesn't have that problem. I think it's a big confidence issue, and maybe he just needs to get more consistent with it. I think it's also the fact that when you look at his game overall from when he's been in high school, college, and now in the league, his game really has – I don't think – I don't want to say it hasn't developed or changed, but it's it's it hasn't developed or or drastically changed because in the sense of – you look at Giannis, who's even attempting, you know, three-pointers and shooting shots. And I'm not saying, like, you know, like Giannis is the greatest three-point shooter ever or anything like that. But I'm just saying the fact that Giannis is trying to get better as far as his jumper because he knows that he could be a potential great player in this league. He wants to get better. He wants to add different elements to his game. I think he also needs to work on some things, too, to get better, too. But with Ben Simmons, I think, like, when you, like you said, are shooting four for 14 from the free throw line, it's like, how much are you are you working on certain things and are you improving things? Because even Blake Griffin who and, and DeAndre Jordan, who are, like, terrible free throw shooters, I was later on in their career, yeah, later on in their career, you know, became like at least like 60% free throw shooters. So I'm like, you know, you got to be able in, in the clutch, especially, and this is one of the reasons why I said it's not going to work between Embiid and, and Simmons is because at some point or another, the uh, the 76ers management is going to have to evaluate and say, look, who do we make our franchise guy? This guy who has no jumper and yes, is athletic and yes, can do all these things. And yeah, he stays healthy for the most part, more so than the big man does. But the big man, clearly nobody in the league can stop him when he's healthy, but he always gets injured all the time. So that's why I'm like, yo, the 76ers are in a total weird situation. And they brought in Tobias Harris to sort of be that guy in between this like, hey, you don't have to worry about you know having all the pressure on you, Ben. You don't have to worry about having all the pressure on you, Joel. I'm here to help, you know, fill in where I can and help get you guys some buckets, get some offense. But I think also the pacing of the whole situation too kind of messed them up because the Hawks want to run. They want to mm-hmm. run and they want to get up and down the court. And if you're the 76ers and you realize this and you know that the lead is starting to slip, I think what you kind of have to do is – just see that ball go in the just see that ball go in, in in the hole and you have to get buckets and you have to you know get it from the free throw line a layup whatever and once things start to unravel i think like i said they don't have anybody that's not in a suit or or in a uh that's that's on the sidelines as far as a coach that's a on the court player that can be like a pat bev a draymond and be like yo hold that hold the f on like time out like wait a second Things is going bad, and we need to start like like wake the heck up. So they they don't have anybody like that, and I don't know if they have anybody that's willing to get in the face of Embiid, that's willing to get in the face of Simmons, that's willing to get in the face of everybody in the team and tell them to wake the heck up. So 
I, I don't know what the solution necessarily is. I Well, in the sense of they have to slow the game down. That's how they get these leads. But I think the problem is, is that as far as maintaining them, they have to continue to play defense and they have to be able to continue to just maintain. Because if they would have just maintained pace, they could have still won that game because they only lost by three in game five. And so like in game it's four, they only lost by one. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy how these guys just have not been able to figure it out. And this organization continues to kind of like, and I said this, like if they don't at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, it's bye-bye to one of them. Yeah. I think before we move on, I just want to say a couple things. First of all, well, well, prediction-wise, I still think Sixers are going to win this series. Me too. But as long as Doc Rivers head coach, nothing's certain. So (laughs) there's that. And then also, I think this series has just gone to show the importance of Danny Green. Yes. I mean, the amount of slander he gets is kind of ridiculous. But even if he goes one for seven from three and he has a bad game, he does so many other things well that don't show up in the box scores. I mean, you look at Laker fans. They were crying for him in this past series against the Suns. And then Sixers fans would love him back because you would actually be able to sit Ben Simmons in crunch time and not have a gigantic drop off on the defensive end. So I think Danny Green is going to be missed a lot. But I mean, shit, shout out to the Hawks. I said they'd be good this season, but I didn't think they would be (laughs) this good. Like they are still surprising the hell out of me. And also shout out to underground goat Lou Williams. Definitely helped them in that game five and the rest of that bench. Um, Trade Young. Just got to give you a shout out. First of all, you're a little bitch for flopping and trying to get those free throws, <laughs> but you're still a very, very good ball player. So I respect it. Um, but yeah, like I said, Sixers and seven. That's that's how I got this series going. Same same here. Um, I think also like mentioning with Lou Williams, this is, I think, like the second crazy NBA playoff comeback he's been a part of. The first one was with the, the Clippers with when the they War- surprised the world and yeah. beat the Warriors that in that, in that opening series. They were down, what, like 39? Yes, like yes, that? that was crazy. So, yeah. like, he's no stranger to it. And I think at this point, I think the Hawks, they're playing with this – they're playing without any pressure on them because no one expected them to even, I think, be in this situation, to be here, to be up 3-2. And the fact that they're here in this position – they're just playing carefree at the moment. So that's why they, they they just play in their system and they just continue to just, uh you know, knock down shots and just have that belief in that fight and that grit. And I think all the pressure is on Philly because there's so much expectation on this team to at least, like I said, get to the Eastern Conference Finals. They've had yeah. such, such an easier path, you would say on paper, but... No, absolutely. But, but it's like you're going to throw away a chance to to potentially even get to the final because at this point you look at the look at what's going on if if they on paper go against either the bucks or the nets you know with the injury history with the injuries that's going on with the nets they still got kind of have a chance and then if you look at the bucks they still can match up pretty well against uh, Milwaukee so to be honest i think if the sixers do lose this series heads will roll oh absolutely also we got to mention that the Hawks haven't even had DeAndre Hunter, who's not been a big presence on the offensive end, but defensively, he is probably their best perimeter defender, and they haven't had him this series. So that's another thing. Let's move on. We got the Nets and the Bucks. The Nets are up 3-2 in this series. Game six is on Thursday uh, in Milwaukee. But I think 
out of all the injuries, this is probably the series where the injuries are the craziest because you have one team not really dealing with injuries, and then you have the other team where two of their top three players are injured, and that's Kyrie Irving. He uh, was out game five because he uh, sprained his ankle, and he's going to be out game six as well and could miss the remainder of this series um because he didn't even travel to milwaukee for game six he's uh rehabilitating his ankle and this is a big guy he's averaging 22.7 points per game five and almost six rebounds and three and a half assists this playoff so that's a big guy uh that's not going to be there for him and then obviously james harden we talked about him he injured his hamstring in game one and then he came back game five, but he wasn't the James Harden we know him to be. But he kind of served as a great decoy. And uh, he's available for game six. And whether he can play like himself or not, I think just his presence on the court is a game changer because they can't they can't risk just leaving him open and him magically getting hot from three. But before before I let you talk, I want to mention what Reggie Miller said. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but this is what Reggie Miller said. He said, I'm just going to throw this out there and see what the responses will be. If you're Steve Nash and the Nets, would you sit James Harden and Kevin Durant in game six because of the heavy minutes tonight? He was talking about game five and push all your chips for game seven. No, like, bro, what? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> this ain't, basically this, said this ain't a video game. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this a video game, bro. You go, you go. If you can end the series as fast as possible, oh. end the series as fast as possible. Because depending on what happens in the 76ers and the Hawks series, you we we we're expecting that to go seven. We're we think that the, the 76ers are gonna, you know, hopefully win game win game six and then you know go on to win game seven. And so if that goes seven. And if you can avoid having to play another game and you can get some extra rest for both your star players and the guy who's been carrying you at the moment, Kevin Durant, then uh, do that. <laughs> then absolutely yeah, do I don't, that. So I don't, I don't what, understand yeah. why you want to play an extra game when you don't have to. It just exactly. makes no sense. So, and I think uh, that's a lot of the backlash he was getting. And I saw, I mean, if this guy gets somehow gets interviewed for a head coaching job. They're just going to pull up this tweet and be like, nope, we don't want him. That makes no sense. I mean, I get like he was trying to like, you know, just like, I guess maybe stir the pot up, but either way, it makes no sense whatsoever. Who who thinks like even a casual fan realizes (laughs) not to do that. I would never lose on purpose in the playoffs? In the playoffs? So how the hell would the former NBA Hall of Famer saying this? But like you mentioned, KD, let's talk about them. The the two big number ones for each team, which is Kevin. Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Let's start with KD. Can we say he is the greatest athlete to ever come back from an Achilles tear? Because in that decisive game five, he had a 49-point triple-double while the Nets were down double digits, and he did not take a single second off. He played all 48 minutes of the game for a guy who, in his first season off an Achilles tear, absolutely insane. This series, he's averaging... 34 points, 10, almost 11 rebounds and over five and a half assists. And then, but then you have Giannis on the other side who has kind of been hush hush, but he's still putting up great numbers, 30 points a game, 10 rebounds a game and three and a half assists a game. So I think the biggest difference in this series and the reason why the nets are up, albeit, you know, three, two, um, and it was looking like it was going to be three, one or three after, after the first two games. But the the biggest difference is one team has Kevin Durant and the other team doesn't. And it's not, look, it's not a knock on Giannis, but his game is nowhere near 
as complete as Kevin Durant's game. No, absolutely not. Like the fact that Kevin Durant can literally get to anywhere on the court and pull up and get to his spot. And there's no way you got to just hope and pray that he misses because there's nothing you can do to defend it really, because he could just shoot over a guy who's shorter than him and PJ Tucker. And then let's say you got a, a dude who's even somewhat the same height as him he'll just go around you because you're just too slow and you can't guard him. Like if Brooke Lopez tried to guard KD, I'm taking you on the perimeter and I'm driving right by you. Yeah. So do you remember what I told you back in 2018 when the Raptors and Warriors were playing before KD went down with his injury? Yeah. I said that yeah. KD, when is all said and done, will go down as the greatest, the greatest offensive yeah. player I remember in that. NBA history. I remember that. And I mean, he's showing, he's putting that on display. But I think the biggest part that pisses me off this series is why Giannis has not been on kevin durant for majority of the possessions because i mean bro you're the defensive player of the year all defensive team two-time mvp and you don't want to take on the toughest defensive assignment i, I mean, think that's I think you kind of have to eh, I, I i get why you don't want to do that because you're going to burn out one of your biggest offensive threats and while yes a lot of people will say like offensive threat i mean like you know he can't like Blake Griffin can hold his own against Giannis. I'm like, yeah, but at the same time, you don't want Giannis fully guarding KD for a majority of the time because that is a mission in itself just to be able to, you know, exert so much energy to guard a guy who can literally do whatever he wants. And they're on the opposite end, still have to generate offense. So I mean, like that's a lot to. to but to ask given somebody. given the Nets injuries right now, I think right. the Milwaukee Bucks have way more options that can create offense. And I think Kevin Durant's off scoring forty nine points in Game Five if Giannis is on him. That's what uh, I'm. Ooh, that'd be, ooh, that'd be interesting. That's that, interesting. That, there's been some plays where KD has gotten by Giannis, but if you see what KD has had to do to get by Giannis, oh yeah, score, I mean, like he's exerting so much energy, and I guarantee you, he's not playing all 48 minutes right there, and that could be the difference maker in this series, let alone that game. So I, I think, get, I, think I, I don't think you can stop KD. You can only ho- hope to contain him, but I course. think you have to throw Giannis at him, a big body who is lengthy. And, you know, try to – and I get that Giannis is a big part of your offense, but Middleton, Drew Holiday, like, let those guys take some of the load to – because if you hold the Nets to less points, that's less points you have to score on the offensive end as well too. So I think it's a it's a risk-reward, but I think it's a risk willing to take. We'll see what they, what they end up doing because I think what they're going to have to figure out is, is if we decide to put Giannis on – uh, Kevin Durant, are they going to try to, you know, then put, uh, are they going to try to, you know, not defer from KD, but are they then going to just like try to find somebody else or like try to go, you know, to another option? Well, I think not you, saying, that's when you not saying that, like, because again, people don't talk about it, but like Kevin Durant can not only create offense for himself, but because he's such a, you know, like your all eyes are focused in on him on the defensive end, he can also create offense for other people too. And absolutely, it's, it's the same way in Golden State where you get so sucked into like KD, KD, KD that Steph would get would get a three off, or, K, or Clay would get a three off, or you know, you know, and then all the others start getting involved. So the 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 thing that you take into account that you you're fortunate at if you're the Milwaukee Bucks is that you don't have to necessarily deal with a healthy uh, Kyrie Irving and a healthy uh, James Harden. Um, I think one of the things that's one of the thing that sucks though, if you're Milwaukee is that you really haven't seen the best out of Drew holiday. 
and you really haven't seen like the best offensive displays um, from a team that was somewhat cooking in the regular season, they, they really have struggled. And I don't know if that's just the fact that they've been missing shots or that's just the fact that on the low, as bad as we like to talk about the Nets defense and the media loves to criticize them for having no defense whatsoever. They've been coming up pretty clutch, to be honest with you, it's, oh, especially absolutely. against uh, a Milwaukee Bucks team that a lot of people, including myself have, you know, beaten the Nets. And so I think that this series is going to come down to whether or not the Milwaukee Bucks what what they decide to do with Kevin Durant if they decide to be like look we want somebody else to beat us besides him and that and I don't mean double team because that's just stupid because KD is KD is a good uh has good basketball IQ and he could find the open guy so I think instead of like sending a, a whack double team I think what you kind of have to do is is like you said maybe put Giannis on him on, in spurts I wouldn't necessarily say that you kind of have to be like oh yeah okay you're just guarding him the whole game I think you kind of have to find and pick your spots where if it's like a close game or whatever, or you got the momentum and you got a run going, then go ahead and just be like, okay, let's, you know, let's try to see, but you kind of have to be strategic with it. Cause like I said, you don't want Giannis to get burnt and the freak out. Cause while yes, when it comes to crunch time, he's kind of like, if you had the lead, you know that they're going to try to foul him because they're going to try to send him to the free throw line. Whereas if you're down, I think they might even try to do that too. Uh, just to like limit the amount of possessions that the Milwaukee Bucks have, which I'm really surprised that, um, the Brooklyn Nets haven't done like before the two minute mark in like the fourth quarter or whatever, just foul the heck out of Giannis and then just send him to the free throw line and try to limit the amount of possessions that Milwaukee has. But ultimately I think that this series is going to go to seven because I think that, well, I hope that it goes to seven because I mean, that still holds, that still gives me faith that the Milwaukee Bucks could still win. But at the same time, if I'm picking a team based on what I've seen so far, um, I, I would pick the Nets just because of the fact that KD, there's nothing you can do about KD, regardless of what you try to do. And I think that the the Bucks are just in such a, a, a bad spot because Giannis's offensive game is so limited in what you can really do with it. Because if you swap Giannis for, for, for Kevin Durant, the Bucks would be licking their shops right now and they would be up 3-1. I mean, we're not like, talking yeah. about that because obviously everyone in their right I'm just, mind knows I'm just about saying, that. I'm just saying, I think that but, that's the difference. And that's something that Giannis is going to have to look at. And he even admitted, like, look, Kevin Durant right here right now is the best player in the league. So if you're admitting that and you're one of the top players yourself and you're having to look at that, you kind of have to evaluate your own game and kind of go into – the off season or whatever, and kind of be like, look, I got to get better at my handle. I got to get better at my jumper. I got to be able to pick apart defenses a little bit differently. I got to be able to recognize, you know, I got to get better at free throws. You know, you got to have to just improve your game, but it's not like, to me, I think people get so enamored with Giannis's physical ability, but at the same time, KD has the same somewhat physical abilities as Giannis, but it's more so he's just more better at finessing it. And he's just better at getting to his spots and making shots. So I'm like, yo, that's been the difference for me as far as this series. Absolutely. But I think in this situation, you have to put Giannis on Kevin Durant, even if he still gives you 30 or whatever. That's it's probably not 40. Le- yeah, exactly. Not 40. That's not 40. That's not, not 49 40. points that he's given you and let <laughs> other guys beat you. And I think to your double team uh, argument, I think you could double uh, KD just because look at what Luca did to the Clippers. I mean, 
they double team Luca. Luca found the open guy, but at the same time, they made Luca work. And what happened to Luca? He gassed out the last two games of the series. I think that's just you have to play the long. I mean, it's kind of late in the series now, but you should have played the long game and tried to gas Kevin Durant out. Yeah, throw different looks at him. I think I can't. Yeah, because so many times like right now. Get- I feel like right now James Harden is, I don't want to say he's a non-factor, but he's not James Harden as we know him to be. So if you just really stick him and let other guys beat you, like the Blake Griffins, like the Bruce Browns, like the the Landry Shamets, you know what I'm saying, like the Jeff Greens, if you let those guys beat you, I'm fine. I could live with that all day long as long as Kevin Durant is not doing this and you are literally draining his energy and draining, draining his stamina. So we're at the defensive end because KD is their best defender. I don't like that. That's just what it is. He's their best <laughs> defender. So if you take him out of the equation on the defensive end, not saying you completely would, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think you have to throw looks at Kevin Durant. And if that means putting Giannis on him for at least 85% of the possessions, that's just what you got to do if you want to win ball games. But that's Coach Bootenholzer for you. Like, he, <laughs> as your head coach, he ain't really going to help you because he doesn't think like that. But I expect I expect game six and potentially game seven that Giannis picks up KD for mm-hmm. majority of the game. Me too. But, I, think, I think he will. I think I just think you have to kind of be, like I said, strategic at it because while, yes, he's not going to be like a get – like he's not going to burn out like Embiid does, I think you still want to be able to have him for the critical time in which is crunch time because, again, he's not going to, you know, shot clock running down or whatever or, or you know, tie game or whatever and the clock's going down. He's going to hit a step back three for the win or something like that. But at the same time, he's a, he's a big dude that if the game was tied, you would love to get him in a situation where you can get him rolling to the basket or something like that and try to get him – uh, either a lob or give him a dump into to win the game. So, I mean, you still want to have him there for your offense, but at the same time, I think also you need guys like Middleton, you need guys like Drew, uh, PJ Tucker, old man in the corner just knocks down shots. You need other guys to step up too. So it's not just all on Giannis to like do it, but at the same time, like he can't allow, you can't allow KD to just be the one that beats you. You kind of have to take, I don't want to say, yeah, you have to take the ball out of his hands. So I'm like, Force somebody yeah. else to, to be the one that beat you, like you said. Well, the offensive end for Milwaukee, they just need to stop ch- chucking up shots. They need to get better looks. That's a whole different story, though. But for me, I still have the Bucks in seven. I had them at six, but I think Middleton, they really need game three and game four, Chris Middleton, and to take the load off of Giannis's shoulders. And then Drew Holiday, I think he just needs to shoot the ball more efficient. Because game five, he actually had a great game offensively. But, I mean... James, I don't know if he's been having the the assignment of James Harden, whether he's fully healthy or not. He's definitely going to need to stick him regardless. He's going to have to be on James Harden like glue. So I don't know. I still got the Bucks in seven. Bootenholzer is the only reason why I would bet again or bet against the Bucks, but we'll see. Let's move on. We have the last second round matchup that was wrapped up in four games, and that was the Suns versus the Nuggets. The Suns basically steamrolled past the Nuggets and looked dominant as ever in every facet of the game. So now the Suns are only four wins away from going to the NBA Finals for the first time since 1993. And which is funny because on this day, Charles Barkley was traded to the Suns in 1992. So definitely that trade worked out for them because they were able to get to the NBA Finals. But talking about this series, Devin Booker did his thing. Chris Paul turned back the clock, I will say. And Mikhail Bridges, I think he might be the new nosebleeds favorite just because... Mm -hmm. First of all, I think just his, 
the entire history of him in the NBA. First of all, getting <laughs> drafted by the Sixers, getting traded for a bag of peanuts, basically. And then to be such a pivotal role for the Suns this season. And then Jay Crowder, he's found his strokes then that he was uh, lacking in against the Lakers. But I think the biggest, biggest thing is DeAndre Ian. I think he he did his thing on the offensive end, shot efficiently, didn't do anything crazy, but let Booker and CP3 handle the load. But what he was able to do on Jokic this series was something. I didn't see that coming. I, we, that coming. I don't think we've seen it at all this entire year. And even <laughs> Jokic, he did come out and say that DeAndre Ayton has been probably the toughest players to guard me this entire season. But the thing with Jokic is you like he's like Kevin Durant. You can't guard him. You can only hope to contain him. And that's exactly what DeAndre Ayton did. Like Jokic won MVP for a reason, but outside of game three where Jokic went off, they still lost though, but Ayton held Jokic to 22.7 points per game, 11 rebounds and almost four and a half assists while holding him five for 18. That's only 28% from three, the entire series. And last series, if you look at it, Jokic averaged 33 points, 10 and a half rebounds, four and a half assists while shooting 43% from three pointers. So, was I mean we we'll have this conversation like was Aiden the best player in the draft? No, obviously it was Luca, but was he a good choice for the Suns? I think absolutely, oh, absolutely, and absolutely. I think he's making a mark on the league as one of the up and coming stars in this league. Yeah, I think what's great about um, that matchup that I didn't expect was the physicality. I wasn't expecting him to be such a a physical because to me I thought his I, to me I'm still like you know evaluating his game and it looks like more so like he's he's developed being a lot more of a, a physical presence and also a shot blocking presence too because you know he's he's to me like you know more of a nice finesse big as far as since like he's good as far as getting rebounds and, and put getting putbacks and just being there to you know finish inside but as far as rim protecting, I was kind of shaky on because I'm like, I'm not really, he's not really known for like, you know, just getting like crazy block shots or like, you know, he's not like a Rudy Gobert where he's just going to sit down there and just be like, yo, come in here and get that stuff, get that stuff sent back. So, and if he, and if he gets pulled away from the perimeter or from the hoop, you know, he's going to fold like how Rudy yeah. Gobert has been. But DeAndre yeah. Ayton hasn't been able to do that. Yeah. So I think that to be honest with you, he, he really was the game changer in this series because like you said, his performance on Jokic really stifled uh, the Nuggets. And I think it really kind of like hindered them in a way. Also, you know, the fact that they didn't have Jamal Murray by me, like, you know, Jamal Murray was, you know, long gone. So already, so, but also you look at the fact that the Nuggets just really didn't get any real contributions from anybody else except Jokic. It's like, where was Aaron Gordon? <laughs> they traded for you for a reason. And it's like, woo, that didn't turn out as well. But overall, I think that this series really, like you said, it came down to the guard play. And the guard play was just phenomenal from the Suns. I mean, Devin Booker, we knew, was going to you know, do his usual thing of putting up 25-plus points. But Chris Paul, I mean, God dang, dude. Like, point 30, God, point God. The dude really just continues to just flourish with this team and has really been the story of the season, to be honest with you, as far as showcasing that, you know, yes, the dude has had a long, long, long NBA career and yeah, he does get injured and yeah, he might be on his last legs, but he still has the knowledge. He still has the, 
the NBA IQ. He still has the wherewithal, and he still is a major, major game changer when you bring him into your organization. Now, I'm not saying you put him on, you know, one of the worst teams in the league, and they'll instantly make them a playoff team or anything like that. I but... mean, he did that last year. <laughs> I mean, he did. He did. He but did that like, last year, so. He, he did, but. <laughs> but they... <laughs> Come saying, on, he, he did. He did. I'm not saying he did, but he did because everybody projected OKC was not even going to finish in the, anywhere in the playoffs. But I'm just saying, like, like I'm not saying you just do that like every single year and he'll just instantly get a team to the playoffs. Well, well yeah, yeah, but but, <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I think that his his value is just there's there's no number you can really put on it. His he he's he's just unbelievable on how he's able, able to affect. Uh, an environment a team and wherever he's been he's really just made such a positive impact and i'll say this because this season has really been like in the past few seasons i'll say has been really good for chris paul because there was a time where when he was back in la and he was back with the clippers where he was regarded as a terrible teammate he was mm-hmm. getting regarded as you know uh, uh someone who was uh always wagging the finger at his teammates, always beefing with his teammates, always telling them what Who's to do. Who's the head coach? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, like, Chris Paul was regarded as the, the cancer and was regarded as somebody who needed to get the hell out of L.A. and then all of a sudden things would go well. But I think that personally, like, CP3 has that coaching him, like you said, and he has that, that, that I'm not going to back down attitude. And I think him coming into this environment and the guys respect him and they respect what he's done in the league. That's been one of the biggest differences because I think it got to a point where I think some of the Clippers, they probably looked at him and they were like, this dude's never been to the finals before this dude. Yeah. He might have all these different accolades and he might be regarded as a great point guard, but it's like, dude, like, like you're like, you're over here shouting and, and acting like you're, you're the boss, but it's like, yo, like, what have you done? What chips, what rings do you have in your finger? And I think, when you have all these young cats on on the team, they don't really see it in the in the form as like a casual NBA fan or something like that. I don't look at the rings. They look more so at the, the pedigree of his career. And I think that's been a huge part as to why the Suns have had so much success is because they understand that this dude is literally putting us in the right places and helping us understand and break down the game so that we, we can be a better player. And as overall, we can be a better team. Yeah, and as a Clippers fan, I mean, the fact that I get to see Chris Paul and Blake Griffin flourishing on successful teams right now, I mean, sight to see. And I will say, if the Clippers do not make it to the next round or make it to the finals, whatever it is, I'm all aboard, all aboard the the Suns bandwagon because I want Chris <laughs> Paul to win that ring so bad. But that's going to be kind of tough because there was news that just broke out that he did test positive for COVID and he's been placed under the NBA health and safety protocol and is out indefinitely for testing positive. So it's kind of jeopardizes his availability for the Western Conference finals. But if he is already vaccinated against COVID, he could be facing a shorter protocol. And I think Matt Barnes came out and said that CP3 did tell him that he was vaccinated. So we'll kind of just have to play by ear on that. But if he misses significant time because of that full, especially in the Western conference finals, that's going to be a huge blow for the Suns. Extremely. Yeah. But I think ultimately um, 
it'll just it's like you said it just depends on the timeline on, on yeah. whether or not he can come back um because i feel the, like this health and safety protocol like it's just yeah. it, it, it's not really <laughs> consistent like like protocol so i mean take it as you will but we'll we'll see it's kind of just a play by ear like thing. That, i think it's like that NBA office too it's like that meme of uh the the security guard he's like checking <laughs> he's outside yeah yeah the warriors he's not even patting him down he's yes. like yeah I yeah, that's they were about. saying they they were comparing that with like how the NBA uh, did the testing for LeBron. They were like, <laughs> you're, good, "You're good, buddy." And they were literally over here in the in the lab, like, "Oh, sorry, Chris, you're <laughs> you're not good, buddy. You got to sit out." So it'll all depend. Like, especially I think what will help the Suns is they're probably going to be rooting for Utah to win that game. Six, oh yeah, the, the amount of games that they can get for this uh, yeah, to pass over, obviously. Exactly. So, cause you want CP3 to be there as much as possible. Cause like we've been talking about, he makes a big difference. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the nuggets though. Now that they are out of the playoffs and a little bit of their future. Um, obviously Jokic won MVP first center to win the awards in Shaq and deservingly. So he had a hell of a season, um, he almost actually made the 50, 40, 90 club, but what's his future like with the nuggets? I think his future kind of depends on what does he want to do? Cause I mean, he's made it to the Western conference finals, got lost to the Lakers. He's had playoffs ex- success and now he's had an MVP and it's kind of like, once you've gotten these level of awards and accolades, you, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, where do I want to go now? Like, how, how far can I take this team? And I think he's going to start to to really look at, are we good enough to get to the finals? Do we have enough with what we have on this roster to get to the finals with the core group of guys that we have? And I think that's something that the Nuggets are going to have to evaluate if not this offseason, definitely next offseason, because that that we're starting to get to a point with Jokic where he's already considered a top-tier caliber player in the league. And with you being a small market team, you want to make sure that you're getting the best out of your players by surrounding them with the top-tier level talent. And so I think that they just got to make sure that they're always in that hunt for at least bare minimum making it to the second round but overall you got to be making it to the western conference finals and you got to be coming close to getting to that nba finals but I, they've had a really good i think the last season they overachieved and i think this season had jamal murray like still been healthy it would have been interesting to see how far they could have gotten but next year i think will be interesting if they get everybody back healthy and whether or not they can have you know a full off season of work to be able to evaluate what they want to do yeah, well, he has two more years on his contract next year and the year after, and so he's a free agent, so we'll see. But I think the two biggest names outside of Jokic is Jamal Murray when he comes back, and then obviously Michael Porter Jr., if he could take that next step. Because before Jamal Murray got injured, he was like he had a struggle to the beginning of the season, but he finally started to step it up and look like the Jamal Murray that we all thought he was. And, I mean, he doesn't really rely on explosiveness for i mean only really to finish against big defenders and stuff like that but so i don't think this acl injury will set him back like at all um but with michael porter jr i mean they were really looking for him this series to really step up and is he that third player that because we see it in the nba to be successful in this league you really need a third guy that you can't really do it with a one-two punch anymore um so 
is he going to be that third guy? Can he can he step it up? Because in his second season, which was this past season, he stepped it up big time. Average 19 points a game, seven rebounds on 54, 45, 79 shooting splits. So I really like what he brings to the table for the Nuggets. If he can work a little bit more on the defensive end because yeah. he's, he's, he's lengthy. So he definitely has that in him. And if he can get a little stronger, he could be a problem in the league and could maybe even overtake Jamal Murray as a number two on the Nuggets. So Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because, I mean, like he – he has the the tools and the the natural gifts already to really be a, a a nice you know forward position type player that you can have to go out on the wing or go out um uh down low even and try to like do something and i think what you said was right on the nail as far as like he needs to get stronger and needs to get more defensively capable uh to handle uh, some of these guys that he's going to have to be going up against. And even like, if, like he's, if he's trying to go to the next level, he's going to have to be able to defend a lot of these guys who you're going to have to come up against as far as in the Western conference, especially. So um, I think that's going to be something that he's going to have to look at and really uh, focus on uh, going into the, the off season is defense, 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 and then also just getting more comfortable with the physical strength. But then also realize that this was his first real, I don't want to say his first real playoff experience, but this was his. No, it was. Yeah. Getting like real playoff experience and especially going, you know, into the second round against like an opponent like this. This is a good experience for a young player to have and be able to realize, look, it's levels to this. Like you can't just get away with doing the same stuff you do in the regular season. Like that's why it's different regular season first round of the playoffs, you're able to still get away with stuff. But once you get to that second round and on, it, it turns into a totally different ball game. So I hope MPJ does realize what he needs to do and understands what he has to do in order to get better. And then for Jamal Murray, I'm really expecting him to have a comeback player of the year type performance. I'm, I'm really expecting him to, albeit he is coming off, like you said, an ACL. So I think the first couple of months, you kind of have to evaluate and see what he can do as far as like um, his lateral movement and his quickness and all that. But like you said, he's not really a guy who's been like heavily reliant on his athleticism and which is good for him because he's still able to, you know, knock down shots and, and, you know, hopefully he can come back and still be able to fire on all cylinders cylinders and turn the clock back to when he was in the bubble where he really popped off. So um, time will only tell on what they are able to do, but I think, the thing that is going to help them get to the finals is depth wise. They have to be able to obviously stop people because yeah, Jokic, I think is a great offensive threat on all cylinders because you can't double him. Cause he's going to be able to find an open man with his passing capability. And then offensively, he he's, he's always capable of scoring and able to find his spots and get where he needs to go. It's the defensive end where he's going to have to be some sort of an anchor and some sort of a, a defensive uh, and not be such a defensive liability, not liability in the sense where he just gets cooked every single time. I think we, he was a liability maybe the last two years, but this year I feel like since he lost, he got better. He he did get a lot better. He did get better, but I feel like not saying he's an all and or defensive player. And I'm not saying he has to be the best defender, but he, I think he has to be considered one of the best defenders, at least on his team. So he has to be to, to, to put that and push that idea uh, on himself 
And I think that will trickle down to the rest of the team because as we all know, as the head of the snake goes, the rest will follow. So if he makes the owners to be more defensively solid and be more defensively capable, then the rest of the team will do that too. Because I think the Nuggets have that mentality. They have that they have the capability of making shots and knocking down threes and offensive galore. But if that stuff's not working, you got to get stops to be able to get back to the game. So if you're able to do that, then I think that that is going to take them a long way. And especially in the gauntlet of the West, you have to be able to play defense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think he's helping by uh, walking his horses out there in Serbia. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head on the defensive. And I think that's the biggest part of this Nuggets team that they need to focus on this offseason. I mean, last season they had Jeremy Grant, lost him to free agency, and then they struggled mightily in the beginning of the season, then brought in Aaron Gordon, but then they got rid of Torrey Craig and Gary Harris. So they need that wing defender that has versatility to guard big men like Jeremy Grant was and Aaron Gordon. But I think they also need very solid perimeter defenders that can guard guards, especially in the Western yeah, they Conference. Can, like they need like a Marcus Morris type player, to be honest. Or with even you. even just like not a Marcus Morris, but maybe like you know, a Patrick Beverly type of player, yeah. like uh, a Mikhail Bridges or something yeah. like that. Just because, yeah. like, the Nuggets have their two guys locked down in Jokic and Jamal Murray, and then Aaron Gordon will be back on $16.4 million contract, which honestly isn't a terrible contract for him. And then Michael Porter Jr. is still on his rookie contract. But you have guys like Monte Morris and Will Barton, who I think are expendable because both those guys combined together are making $22 million. Uh, and they both have player options. So those are pretty big contracts for those type of players because, honestly, I am a big, big fan of Compazzo, and I think he is a solid backup point guard. He is. And then you have Jermichael Green, who has a six point or $7.6 million player option. So this offseason, if all those guys accept their player options and the guys that are free agents, they don't bring any of them back, they'll have about $7 million in cap space, which is not a lot to do with. So I think they're going to have to make moves definitely this offseason and try to get those perimeter defenders because I think guys like Monte Morris and Will Barton will, are very uh, attractive pieces for other teams. So we'll we'll see what the Nuggets do this offseason, but they they are going to have to make big defensive moves this offseason. Let's talk about other NBA news. We had the all NBA teams uh, announced and first team was Jokic, Giannis, Steph Curry, Luka and Kawhi Leonard. Second team, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, Julius Randle, LeBron James. Third team was Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Rudy Gobert, Jimmy Butler, and Paul George. Uh, any surprises or snubs from this list? Um, I mean, I, for I'll, I'll go first. For yeah, me, for I think LeBron James being on there was a surprise, just because given the amount of games he played, he didn't even play two thirds of the season. So that was, but we talked about it in our previous episode, mm-hmm. saying that we wouldn't be surprised if he's on there, but we don't think he should be on there, just because. You know, yeah, just the games he played. And then I think the guy who would replace him would be Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum was a huge, huge snub in Donovan Mitchell as well. Donovan Mitchell as well, too. But he also missed a couple games, too. But I mean, like, who are you really going to put Donovan Mitchell over? Kyrie? I mean, that's that's the thing. That's the thing, though. It's like, I think, I forget who, I think Reggie Miller was the one that said it. He said, like, if I'm Jason Tatum with Donovan Mitchell, um, I got to be feeling some type of way if, you know, I'm I'm getting completely, like, disregarded as far as all NBA. But at the same time, it's like you said, like, you're going to put him over Dane Miller, Chris Paul, 
Like, oh, so I think I think the locks for guards are Steph, Luca, Chris Paul, Dame Lillard, Kyrie, yeah. and Bradley Beal. I think you could intertwine him with either him or Westbrook because I think Westbrook deserved the All NBA team as well too. So, but the fact that Bradley Beal got it, I'm not mad at that. But I mean, at forward, you got Giannis, Kawhi, Julius Randle, Jimmy Butler, Paul George. Maybe you could have swapped him out with Devin Booker, but I'm not mad at the yeah. Paul George because he did yeah. have a hell of a season yeah. but LeBron James I think that's just the biggest thing for me is just the amount of games he played he only played 45 games out of the 72 games so and you got a guy like Jason Tatum who had a career year and is really showing superstardom so that's the only reason and the part that sucks is that the all-NBA dictates the type of contracts these players get if they can get the max or the super max so I don't what's your thoughts do you think the all-NBA team should dictate contracts I mean, is that something that you can like negotiate, or is that something that already? No, that's like, that that's that's, that's a, kind of already set in stone. You can't. Well, really... well, I mean, like that to me, that doesn't seem like it's necessarily. I don't want to say it's not fair, but at the same time, I, don't I think, think that, it's that not. should. I don't think that it should be in the contract because that's something that's out of my control. I can't force media exactly. members to to, to vote exactly. for me to get in there, and even though I could put up career numbers or I could have a career year, like you said with Jason Tatum, and still not make it. So I mean, yeah. like. And I think, to be honest with you, a lot of that has to deal with the fact that maybe your name isn't even in that that, that sort of a conversation sometimes. Because Boston had a very underwhelming season as a team, even though Jason Tatum was doing whatever he possibly can to hold that ship together. Because the team didn't have a, such an underperforming season of what the, the, the projection was coming into the year, I think that's one of the reasons why they some guys get overlooked because – some people are not watching games of teams that are like, like, but if, if that's the case, then LeBron James finished seventh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> look, so, look. Hey, I'm just laying it out to you. No, why? I get it. Like, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. I think the voting system for these all NBA teams, and especially knowing that they dictate players careers and the money they're making, I think it is so flawed. So flawed. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I think, I think I was talking to Cody who's been in this, uh, who's been on the podcast before. And we were talking about maybe the all NBA format should be changed position wise. Maybe they should do it like an all-star game, how they have three front court, two back court. No, not positionless. Cause I think position <laughs> because the basically the all NBA team is saying who is the best at those positions. Right. That's basically what the all NBA team is. So if you take out the position position list, like that's, that just makes no sense. So I think if they do a little bit like the all-star game, how you have two backcourt, two fr- or three front court players. So like you could have Embiid on the first team. You could have uh, maybe take out Bradley Beal or Paul George and put Jason Tatum on there. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe something like that or take out Rudy Gobert. Cause I would, I would take out Rudy <laughs> Gobert and that's not a knock against Rudy Gobert. Cause no, he had a no. hell of a season, but he did. He I did. would, I would put Jason Tatum any day over the year over Rudy Gobert, but then you, you got to put Donovan Mitchell somewhere because there's no way you don't have one <laughs> the best player. record in yeah. the league and don't have a single player on there. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, that's why I, th- I think that all NBA voting is very flawed and the NBA has to fix that, fix that. And just solely because it messes with players contracts that they're up due for. So, yeah, I agree with you. And then we had the all defensive teams. The first team was Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, Giannis, and Drew Holiday. Second team was Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, Matisse Thybul, and Kawhi Leonard. Oh, no real, no real arguments here. I, I mean, I would have loved to Mikhail see Mikael Bridges, obviously. Yeah, I would have loved well. to see Mikael Bridges on the second team. Uh, but who are you really going to put him over? Yeah, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, like. 
you can't really put him over those two guys. Yeah. Maybe Kawhi Leonard, you could put him over, but Kawhi is Kawhi. So yeah, yeah. And then let's talk about the all or the NBA awards and let's see how many we got right. MVP, Jokic, we both had Jokic. You got that. Defensive player of the year, Gobert, we both had that. Most improved player, Julius Randle, we both had that. Rookie of the year, LaMelo. Corey had that. I had Anthony Edwards, who I still stick by just because of the amount of games that LaMelo missed. But I'm not mad at it. Yeah. I, I kind of saw it coming. Me too. Sixth man of the year, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, we both had that. And then coach of the year, Tom Thibodeau. I got that. And you said Monty Williams? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I, I just want to give a sh- quick shout out to Corey because he did have the rookie of the year and six man of the year correct in the beginning or before the season Pre-season, started. Season, so. yeah. So I mean, it was kind of crazy to be honest with you because I didn't think I wasn't sure uh, how much uh, Jordan Clarkson was the one that I wasn't sure about. But that's again, shout out to Woe for that. He gave <laughs> me that one. He did gave me that one. And then in other NBA news, the Pelicans fired Stan Van Gundy. I think. Right decision. Right yeah, decision. absolutely right decision. And I think they kind of need to fix the the personnel they put around Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson because it just feels like that paint is clogged a lot. They got to figure out some way to get these guys to be able to play with each other because when Zion was not available in his rookie season for the most part, Brandon Ingram – that's when he Flourish. had his 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 crazy breakout year. Yeah, most improved player. And then last year, I mean, he, you know, he still gets his numbers, but at the same time, like you know, Zion was the one that was you know majority of the time dominant. But I think, for but them, I think that's realistically when, that, they got to figure out what they're gonna do with the team as a whole and what they're gonna do surrounding Zion. Because if Zion is gonna be the one that you have bringing up the ball, or if you have him be the one that's, you know, setting up the offense or whatever the case may be, however you want to do it. Um, you got to be able to have guys that can make shots around both Zion and Brandon Ingram, because if they get into a spot where they need to kick out to somebody, they need to be able to have a shooter that is going to knock down a shot. And so far it's been streaky and in <laughs> playoff teams, if you're going to be making it into that playoffs, or if you're going to be trying to vie for uh, the playing tournament, the Pelicans got to be able to knock down shots and they were too streaky for me as a team this entire season and last season too. That's why they missed out. Yeah. So I think they're definitely going to have to get shooters to surround those guys, especially at the big man position. And then the biggest name for them that's going to hit free agency is uh, Lonzo ball. So we'll see what happens with the Pelicans. Um, And then we have Scott Brooks and the Washington wizards parting ways. Um, The first year. Or not with uh, the new guy Russell Westbrook on the team and his former coach, and is now not in Washington. What do you think? Uh, I, I, it's not surprising. I think Washington's heading more so into a rebuild situation, like we've mentioned in the past. I think they're probably going to either they're probably going to deal off both Bradley Beal and Westbrook and try to just see if they can rebuild their franchise. Because that'd be the right move to do. Let's, let's face facts. I mean, you kind of like. Bradley Bills is wasting away in Washington. And if he's not going to say anything, I'm wondering how long it's going to take until he decides like, look, I'm not happy and I don't want to be here anymore because we're not looking like we're in a winning situation. Yeah. And then last but not least, we have the Mavericks GM, Donnie Nelson and the Mavericks parting ways. A little surprising here, but I mean, whoever guess that GM spot, they are licking their chops. They got probably the best up-and-coming player in Luka Doncic, but they have a lot of work to do with how to surround guys around him. So 
biggest thing is Luka Doncic getting him that that contract because he's eligible for the supermax and could break the record for the biggest contract in NBA history. So that's going to be interesting for whoever that new general manager is and then how to fit the pieces around him and whether Christoph Porzingis is still going to be a part of this team or not. Yeah, because I think that's the biggest thing for whoever gets that uh, that general manager job is they're going to have to figure out, number one, who's going to be the the number two for Luca because clearly the Porzingis experiment has not been – Mm-mm. working out and he's not been the same guy that he was when he was in new york which again that was an amazing trade by the 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 knicks by the way to be able to get that off but it, it's just sad at the time for for Przingis, but at the same time like when you're hearing rumors about allegedly luca being upset or him being but even being even there's with, been rumors that Porzingis is upset saying that i'm yeah. not really involved in the offense yeah but to be honest with you it's it's kind of hard for them to get him the ball when Lucas is, is Lucas. So, I mean, like it's, it's, it's hard to be able to, to, to have them play together when again, Porzingis isn't the same player he was before his injury and he hasn't really been playing like it. And again, that's difficult when you don't get a lot, a lot of looks, but Luca needs a number two and he needs somebody. And depending on whether it's from the draft, which it more likely is going to have to be, because even though, you know, Dallas, you know, is not the greatest free agent destination, they do get some nice little pieces here and there sometimes, but because of the, you know, the state tax. Uh, but at the same time, I think that Dallas is going to have to, do better by Luca than they did by Dirk because they were very fortunate in the sense that Dirk was just so loyal in the sense that he would take pay cuts. He didn't Mm -hmm. ever complain. And he, I think he was just more so happy at the fact that he was just able to be in the NBA. And I don't think Luca really gives a dang about the fact that he's just happy to be in the league. He knows he's a star. He knows that he could walk into any team and he could be a star player for them. And whether or not the Mavericks want to take advantage of that, I mean, I don't know how to- how long it'll take for Luca to start clamoring or rumors to start coming out that he wants to leave. But if the Mavericks don't do right by him, then you will definitely start to hear more of that come out. And I wouldn't be shocked if he does bust out and say like, look, I'm not happy here. I want to trade or some crazy stuff like that. But, I think it's too early for that just because yeah, he's about yeah, right to get, now, he's right about now, to get yeah. the bag from right, them. Right, right, right. But it, it, it all can change in yeah. a matter of, uh, of seconds sometimes because I think I give you know, Luca, like I give Luca about three years. And then if nothing transpires, then I maybe. say two. I say two. And I only say two because well, he's going to get a change. new contract. So I think he's right. going to play out some of it. He, he's not going to force his hand. I think he will because he's look, this is the dude that already so many people are saying could potentially be the new face of the NBA. And remember what they were talking about with LeBron when he was with Cleveland and he couldn't win anything. Like, remember how, like, yeah, but LeBron had, like, was there that. until he was, he he was like, there. yes, yes, he was there and he lived out his contract. But I think it's different now because the onus is like, look, you're so young. Yes, but an injury can happen at any point. So I'm like, he's like, look, I got to get the bag. Yes. But at the same time, he wants to be the face of the league right here, right now. If the media is already, you know, predicting him to be the next dude. So I'm like, if he if he feels he can be the the new face of the league then I think he he's going to want to win the championship ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Mavericks, that's going to be the hottest seat to be filled. So, uh, Mark Cuban, that in, that I'm, in, I'm, uh, this Boston. is my, this is my former, or this is my formal 
resume that I'm going to send you right now. I have ample <laughs> experience watching basketball, you know, playing, playing 2K, rebuilding teams on 2K. <laughs> no, but yeah, whoever gets that job, it's going to be a fun but stressful one at the same time, too. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Nosebleeds. Appreciate y'all listening as always. Make sure y'all are following us on social media, on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. On Instagram, The Nosebleeds. And on Facebook, look up The Nosebleeds podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're on there. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, uh, shoot us a five-star rating. If you like what you heard, write us a review. If you're feeling generous, we really appreciate that. That helps us out a lot. Uh, any last words, Corey? Uh, NBA playoffs is going crazy. NFL offseason going crazy. But, man, I'm so looking forward to seeing which teams come out of the, the West and which teams come out of the East. Because I'm already set to see this NBA Finals because at this point, it's it's anybody. Somebody's going to get their first championship. And I'm curious to see which team that's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. But other than that, we out of here. Deuces.